Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Stephanie and Katie. They say you can die in childbirth. Thankfully so. No, not that kind of die. I mean, the shedding, purging, opening, surrendering, letting go kind. Of course you can die in childbirth, or at least the parts of you that hold you back, keep you stuck, silence your voice. Of course you can die in childbirth. Otherwise, we wouldn't face our fears, turn inside out, discover our power. Of course you can die in childbirth. That's what it takes to wither, decompose, bloom anew. I'm willing to die in childbirth so I can be fully alive. That's a poem that I wrote a few years ago as I was really trying to contemplate exactly what it is that birth has done for me in my life. And to wrap my brain around the paradox of birth. Oh, it gave me the shivers. Oh, good. Good shivers? Good shivers. <laughs> Thank you. Um, to be honest, I think I've always had kind of a fascination with darkness and with death and with the broken stories of life. As a kid, I, I was much more moved by the sad stories than I was the happy ones. I, For example, Othello and... Gone with the Wind, and, and the stories that just ended really sad. <laughs> Bambi. Oh, yeah, Bambi. I've always experienced a lot of wonder and growth through um, analyzing the process of, of death and the withering and decay. I know that my favorite season of the year has always been the fall. And when you think about it, like that's the season of death. Everything is dying. The trees are only so beautiful because they are in the process of shedding off the leaves in preparation for the cold, hard winter. But there's something about me that literally comes alive in the season of death. Mm. <laughs> and I love that paradox. Yeah. And maybe it's no mistake that I have found my way into birth work because, and though I didn't understand it at the time or even when I was having my own children, birth is really the, the perfect metaphor of the, the life, death, and, and rebirth cycle. When I... I know I've shared about my first birth experience, and, and I hope you'll bear with me that I'll go there again because it really was such a formative event in my life. I think that the key thing that was happening at that time is that there was a, a body-mind struggle. So my body seemed to know what to do in the same way that my body knew how to just grow a baby. I mean, all I did was have sex. <laughs> and yeah. yet suddenly there's this full-fledged being inside of me. Mm. How much of that did I have to do? No. Nothing. Yeah. I, I don't think feed we can yourself. take credit for that. I just had to feed myself. Exactly. <laughs> I had to rest and, and feed myself. How hard was that? But the actual process of gestation was something that the wisdom of my body knew how to do that I did not intellectually. I couldn't have done that. You took no part in it. I took no part in it. I just woke up each day and my body kept doing its thing. Well, it's the same thing in labor. I really, truly believe that our body does genuinely know the way. And of course, there are exceptions because anybody who has struggled with infertility or who, who has had true, genuine like failure to progress 
you've learned that you can't take this for granted, that every time it does work is truly a miracle and that there are times that it doesn't. But the wisdom is always there, regardless of whether or not the mechanisms are functioning properly. Mm. And I think part of the factors is just that the modern world we live in has separated us a lot from our bodies. It separated yeah. us a lot from, um, like, we don't move nearly as much as more, more our sedentary. Bodies. We're very sedentary. And, like, there's a lot of things that I think our bodies haven't been able to evolve to adjust to. And that that plays roles. Not all the time, of course. But that plays a lot of roles in um, our body's wisdom not being able to fully adjust to all of the curveballs that can be thrown. Yeah, and along Absolutely. with hospital birth, like a, inter, every intervention is, while of course sometimes they are helpful and not to condone interventions, but if an intervention is put in a place where the body's trying to do its thing for a reason, yeah. that can of course also cause cause issues and cause problems. And create barriers from the body being able to do what it was trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. So while my body... in in, in hindsight, as I'm looking back and analyzing this birth experience, I do feel like my body knew the way. And it was as if it, if it could speak, my body was saying, open up and let go. I know the way. Just trust me. Mm. <laughs> the problem was I didn't trust my body. Yeah. And I had good reason to. I felt that my body was um, the, the thing that made me vulnerable to getting hurt. And, and that had proven true in my childhood that, um, I learned at a young age that if I could disconnect from my body, then I wouldn't feel pain. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that I wouldn't also feel joy, but at that time no, it didn't matter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to make sure I was, I was safe and I have a lot of compassion and gratitude for the young version of me that figured that out. It's pretty yeah. amazing that our bodies can do that for us. Mm-hmm. But in that moment of labor, I had not worked through my relationship with my body. It was, I didn't even have language to describe it in the way that I do now. And so my mind had a very different narrative. And my, my mind was telling me, keep it together, woman. Mm. Don't let yourself go. Don't be vulnerable. Don't trust your body. It's trying to lead you down. What? Oh, now I feel like I'm quoting um, Emperor's New Groove. I'm going to lead you down the path of righteousness. <laughs> no. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm going to lead you down the path that rocks. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I totally. Well, I totally had those angels on my shoulder. Mm. And so um, a total random nerd side comment. I yeah. actually have, uh, my family does Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yes. That's and pretty nerdy. I'm I pretty love it. Pretty nerdy, yes. I yeah. guess. I'm fully admitting this now in public. It's okay. It's um, in my family <laughs> line, too. <laughs> um, but my, I have a brother who's loves it and anyway so I came to the they would make a character and I ended up creating one that was half Grook from oh, oh no Grook from Emperor's New Groove and then not Grook what's his name Kronk oh Kronk Kronk okay. from Emperor's New yeah. Groove and half um, Groot from oh uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy Avengers yeah yes. Guardians of the so Galaxy. he's like that's I do things like that in D&D's I will my shoulder <laughs> angels come and fight you want them to kind and, of be both sides. <laughs> yes, and I'll come and fight, and everybody has to listen to me have a conversation with my shoulder angels. Oh, that's angels. fantastic. <laughs> I feel like that's my whole life. Yeah. yeah. No, it's real. That's pretty great. No, and Dungeons love... and Dragons is real, too. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's 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 therapy in a way. Like yeah. Like, you're able to... Anyways, it's completely Oh, well, random. it's not too random, though, because I actually do feel like that whole birth was my most profound therapy session of mm. my life. Yes. <laughs> um, again, because I didn't have language for that at the time, I just thought that it was me being 
beat up and dragged through warfare. Like that's yes. how intense it felt to me mm. at the time. But man, on the other side, of, I can now see just how much um, work was being done on really deep layers of my psyche. Yes. So, as which I, is why, like to, which is why, a lot of times people who've had really traumatic births, it takes a a really long journey to get there. But I just want to throw out that little nugget of love and tenderness that I hope you can have with yourself. That this is not. It's not to fail. It's, it's an, an awakening. A traumatic birth is, mine was, and I know yours was for you, yeah. but it, it woke me from a deep slumber. Absolutely. And um, it forced me to face things that in the, time, in the moment were, of course, really hard and scary. And it made me feel out of control. And I felt a lot of things. But I'm so grateful for that birth. I'm grateful for the path of beyond. And just a little reminder, if you're kind of sitting right after a traumatic birth, that don't, don't let it close you down. Don't let it make you stay in the dark. Don't let it make you think that you're not enough or that you're somehow doomed to these horrible births or that you're doomed to mm. some sort of negative experience. But let, let this be a reminder that, yes, there's some work ahead of you, but there is a path, there is a way that this can teach you so much about yourself and so much healing can, can come from it. And I think one of the, the best ways I found for myself and for my clients to get me out of that place of kind of feeling stuck and trapped and defined by the trauma and, and to move me into the healing and recovery and insight was to believe that there was a purpose to it. So if something has happened and like Katie said, if you are in that place just after trauma, pay attention to the stories that you're telling yourself. Sometimes you might hear things like, oh, it, it didn't need to go this way. This was, my whole birth plan was derailed. Nothing went the way that I thought. This is your mind kind of keeping you stuck in a loop, telling you, yeah, there was no point to your suffering and all of it was just a big mistake. Um, I find that once we can get that narrative to release and we create a, a healthier narrative that you can find a shift. And, and for me, it was like, oh, what if, this trauma was a result of my own mind-body fight. Mm. And what if that's shown me something about myself? What if it's actually an invitation for me to heal that damaged <sighs> oh relationship? Gosh, that came a couple years later, Katie, but oh, it you me, it nailed it. took me a it. hot minute for yeah. me to get to that point. <laughs> but that's exactly where it led me. Me too. Because once I saw my part in that, I thought, okay, now I can do something about it. So it's very different to just feel like, well, this shitty thing happened and it's done. And therefore, I can just be angry the rest of my life. Or you hear people say, that's the price I had to pay for my yeah. baby. Or that's just like they're how so resigned is. to it. They just accept that this terrible yeah. thing happens, and mm. that's that. That's just especially because we have such a deep culture of birth trauma. Yeah. In our in America, absolutely. It's like one in I think it's one in three or one in four women define their birth as traumatic, and mm. that's reported. And you know that a lot of people are not going to report. Oh, I never would have reported that mine. their birth was traumatic. I, I felt ashamed to say that my first birth was traumatic because those that were there said it was just so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, yeah, I guess that was beautiful. And I kept trying to tell myself that was a beautiful birth. That was a beautiful birth. And it did not feel beautiful. Yeah. And you think if, if one in, I, think, I believe it's one in four 
Um, if that's the reported statistic currently with birth trauma, you know that at least half are important. So let's say every other birth in America is, yeah. is actually defined traumatic in some way, birth feeling out of control. Yeah. If one third are cesareans, and most of them unwanted, then of course a lot of those cesareans contribute mm-hmm. to that number. But I think that a lot of that is we're allowing, we think that's how birth is, that our mother says, yeah, well, that's just kind of the the burden you have to bear, like right. whatever Eve suffered now or whatever the culture is to say that, no, that's just the price you pay to become a mother. And that's one of the things I think got both of us here is, no, it's not. It's supposed to be a beautiful springboard. It's supposed to be this cascading event that just sends you soaring into motherhood. And yes, you have a lot of things to figure out and, and it's not always easy to fly and it's not always... Hmm. Simple. It doesn't mean it's gonna be simple, but it's supposed to be have this this momentum to it. It's supposed to yeah. have this beautiful purpose where you know that this helped form me into a mother. This right. helped me show my strength. This helped me get to know myself better, and now I feel ready to face other challenges because of the way this challenge went, and because of the way I connected with myself and the way I connected with the people around me right. and the way that I, I found these tools and I navigated it. And because I, I remember that was the phrase after my second birth, my beautiful birth was if I can do that, what, what can't I do? Hmm. If I can do that, I can do anything. That's powerful. And that was kind of the healing for me was to say, that's how birth is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be easy, but you're supposed to walk away instead of feeling broken or disconnected or frustrated or tra- traumatized mm-hmm. um, or fearful or whatever, the, all those negative things. And I felt a lot of them after my first birth. You're supposed to walk away feeling proud. You're supposed to walk away with more belief in yourself as a human being, as a mother. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. supposed to be where it goes. So I, I do want to throw that out there that we live in this culture of trauma, but, but that's not the way that it needs to be. And I think the sooner that we, instead of thinking of it like, oh, this is the cross we bear, this is the price we pay, I think that's where things started to shift for me is like, oh, this is the gift that birth gives. This is the opportunity that was right before me, but I did not see it for what it was. And that's when birth absolutely came alive for me. Um, because then I thought, well, yeah, you know what? We are asked to die, <laughs> but it's not in the way that we think. We are being asked to shed, to purge, to open, surrender, let go, to to stop being stuck, to stop silencing our voice, to face our fears, to be turned inside out, to discover our power, to wither, to decompose, to bloom. Well, in order to bloom, right? And that's when I thought, this is not a curse, this is like the fast track to self-development. Mm. I feel like I was able to process decades worth of suppressed emotions and built up trauma in a matter of 20 hours of that labor. Mm. Now, if someone had been using that language with me and preparing me for that context, I believe I could have come out on the other side without feeling traumatized. Yeah. I think I would have used words like intense or big or profound, but Mm. I don't know that I would have used the word traumatic. I would have felt like, you know what? I knew what I was going into and it was big. (laughs) It was, it was hard. It was the most amazing thing I've ever done, but I did it. And I would have understood and embraced that process. I don't think I would have fought so hard or resisted. And honestly, that's why that first gift birth was a gift because then with each following birth, I got better at that. Mm. I got better at 
trusting my body and trusting that, yeah, there is some part of me that's going to die and it's for the better. I would never say to the autumn leaves on the tree, don't do it. Don't let go. Hang on there. You know, don't give in. (laughs) Stay a withered crisp forever. Forever and ever. No, it's like, no, trust the season. It's your time to fall because a hard winter's coming and the tree knows it. It's conserving its energy. It's going to pull everything in. And guess what? Your body is going to break down with the snow and it's going to go into the soil and it's going to feed the roots and then it's going to shoot up into the tree and new leaves are going to come because you let go. And it understands its place in that cycle. But I just think sometimes we humans feel so far removed from nature that we refuse to accept the seasons of our life. Mm. And we, we cling to the old perpetually. We want to stay forever young. We don't want to see the wrinkles, the gray hair, the, the flabby skin, any of it. And um, that resistance, in my opinion, is a huge part of birth trauma. So there's this really fascinating correlation. Um, and I wanted to share this after we talked about kundalini, mm-hmm. when, which we did. And we talked about how um, kundalini energy is depicted a lot like the double helix of DNA, but also it's just two serpents that are intertwined. Because um, I love bringing in the symbology of the snake. So there was this, there have been actually various studies done, and some of them actually contradict, as all studies do. But I love, I love reading about it. Um, some studies have been done with infants that supposedly these infants have had no exposure to snakes or to spiders. And so they have these infants, and I say infants, but they're probably upwards to like six to eight months old. And they show them a series of slides of different things in nature. So it might be a frog, a leaf, a flower. And then interspersed in those slides are pictures of a snake or pictures of a spider. And they watch what happens to the baby's eyes and their pupils. And they noticed um, pretty much across the board that there's a dilation spike whenever they're looking at the spider or the snake. And again, this is with babies that had no pre-exposure or um, conditioning to be afraid of these things. Mm -hmm. And so you can draw different conclusions, and obviously there need to be more studies to make anything conclusive, but there is a lot of wondering around, uh, around the idea that are we like evolutionarily wired to be afraid of the things that are poisonous out there that, that could kill us? And I'm, I'm fascinated by that because on one hand, snakes are like the quintessential scary thing. I personally am terrified of snakes. Mm. I don't like to be around them. I don't, even if I know it's just a friendly little garden snake, I don't want to do anything with that garden snake, right? And, and I'm fascinated by my own fear of it. Um, I don't know what my conditioning was around snakes. Maybe it's just been part of my evolutionary makeup. But we know that um, if you have studied much of, of evolutionary biology, even the fact that humans' eyes face forward the way that they do um, is a product and or the reason why we are alive today and why we're on the top of the food chain because we were able to detect predators sooner or faster or quicker, right? Um, I, I promise this does have relevance. 
I'm excited. To childbirth. <laughs> You're like, how is she going to tie this on? But I know you will. <laughs> thanks for your confidence in me because <laughs> I'm like hoping that I can. <laughs> well, so I think it's just really interesting that on one hand, the only reason we're alive today is our fear of death, mm. right? Yeah. It's kept us just fast enough or smart enough or quick enough to be able to um, avoid the poisonous snakes, the metaphorical and the literal poisonous snakes. And thank, thankfully so, that mm. we can be alive today. But this is the very thing that makes emotional and spiritual death so hard. <laughs> I think it's fascinating that Kundalini energy is, is depicted as a snake and she's also the energy that brings about spiritual evolution. And I thought, oh, so on one hand, we're supposed to be afraid of snakes. And then on the other hand, we're supposed to like embrace the snake. Like, how does that work? That feels very contradictive to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I thought, well, of course it's contradictive. It's a paradox because everything that's good in life is a paradox. Mm -hmm. um, and I think how, where I've come with this is that if it were easy to embrace spiritual death, I don't think we'd experience the massive growth on the other side of it. And there is some part of us that resists it in the same way that we resist real death. I think we are just afraid of emotional vulnerability as we are of jumping off a cliff and dying. <laughs> I think our psyche kind of conflates the two. Mm. And we think, no, for me to, um, like in the context of birth, it's like for me to let go and trust the, these contractions are actually my friend is just as impossible as me jumping off that cliff right now. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's how it felt for my first birth. See, I think I'm a little wired differently. I've always Tell been, me your story. I've always been a big adrenaline junkie. Uh-huh. And I was always the kid that would pick up the spider. Yeah. And hold See, the snake. I love to hear about this. And I think there's something about the aliveness of flirting with danger or the risk. Mm. Um, my mom would always call me her little adrenaline junkie. I've done cliff diving. I would do yeah. bridge jumping. Like in college, we'd go and we'd do like jump off bridges into rivers. And I've always loved heights. I've always loved flying. I've always loved, I'm the person on the roller coaster who like has the arms out the sides and the legs unattached. Yes. And um, If you can add to the thrill, you if will. If I can add to the thrill, I will. And I think that's part of like, once I caught on to birth, it became a very addict. Like I'm, my husband, I'll joke about wanting another baby and we're done. Um, my husband's like, do you want another baby or do you want to do the ride of birth again? Yeah. He's like, please distinguish the two. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. that's valid. <laughs> because I think that, and I don't know if that's why once I realized that there was so much potential here, that there's this, and I, I wonder if some of that, that aversion has been bred into us and that I don't know what it is about the adrenaline. Maybe it makes me feel alive. And in a lot of ways I felt very held back and I felt very... Um, bogged down and that was just the place where I found a lot of thrill and, and alive feeling yeah, absolutely. but a lot of times that's where we feel alive is is right before a death uh. that's where you'll say they you know you look if you look into the research of like and that they say that if you what would you do if you knew we were dying yeah if you had seven days well, left to live I would live <laughs> yeah, I would live. I would try to get as much life I'd into those seven days as I could right yeah. and so we push death off as this thing of fear 
as this thing far away and scary and bad, but really the presence and acknowledgement of death in our lives can make us live our lives better because it makes us realize, I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how much time I have with my family. And instead of that being a scary far away thing, it can be a motivator for us to live our lives better, to actually fill them with things that make us feel alive, the things that we actually cherish instead of wasting time on on things that don't matter as much wow or holding back we hold back a lot because we think we have time yeah and and if we have that presence of death if we knew we had a month if we knew we were dying at 53 if we knew we were dying if we knew we were dying we would change our lives but the mystery of it the mystery of it can be beautiful Mm -hmm. but it's also can be very deceptive and kind of like well you can just pretend it's not there because it's not it's not (laughs) tangible I was listening to um, a Jordan Peterson lecture, who's a, a psychologist from, from Canada, who I really mm-hmm. admire and, um, and just learn a ton from. And he was talking about different clients that he's worked with over the years that struggle with agoraphobia, like fear of the, of the open spaces. And, and he said the longer he's worked with these individuals over the years, He's able to, to say to them, you know what? I realize that you, you are the population of people that actually has life figured out because y- you're like so tuned into the fact that you could die at any moment. And so life terrifies you mm. where the rest of us yohoos have desensitized ourselves to the point that we completely disconnect ourselves from the fact that, that we could die. So we go on living our lives all merry and bright, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm invincible. And he's like, now, obviously, it's not ideal because you're so tuned into it that you're not functioning. And so let's help you. And, mm-hmm. and, but he does point out something so profound that like people who suddenly have their eyes opened to the fact that death is awaiting you at every turn, like they really are glimpsing the reality of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but how important for for, for all of us to kind of meet in the middle of that space and to be like, okay, yeah, death could happen at any moment, but I don't want to spend all of the life that I do have fixating on that. Mm-hmm. So how about I come into this middle zone where I am aware of death and I accept that death could happen. And because of that, I'm living my life to its fullest. Yes. I love that. I think that that happens for me in motherhood sometimes is that I would have like, I don't know if anybody else had this, but I had, I'd have moments where I would have like, vivid visualizations of my children dying somehow. Wow. Oh like, yeah. Just like I have nightmares of drowning. Yeah. And, yeah. I'll, have, I'll just like allow myself down these very dark paths every once in yeah. a while where I'll just think, what if she just doesn't wake up and she's blue in the yeah. morning or what if this happens and how would I feel? And oh, that'd be devastating. And how would I even keep living? And, Absolutely. Um, I would have these moments of, of big darkness with, with my kids and just, I can either sit in that dark space and I can allow it to put me in a place where I'm going to try and control every little thing. I'm going to become that helicopter parent who's trying to keep every danger away. I think that's what agoraphobia is and essentially is it's I can control my, my space, my home. Yeah. It's a control thing, I think. Absolutely. I can control my home and everything out of my home feels out of my control. Yeah. So I'm going to stay in my controlled space. And I think that's, right. that can tempt us, lure us into controlled parenting as well. Mm-hmm. If we, if we get that fear of something bad happening to our children, we allow it to rain. But at the same time, if you have that kind of understanding of, I, I don't know how much time I have with this child and I love this child and I'm going to try and do the best I can to, to grow for with this child. And, and cherish think, every moment that we, we have together. Yeah, as best I can. And it doesn't yeah. mean you have to be like 
doing crafts all day, every day, but just like the <laughs> presence of heart, the presence in this moment. Yeah. And that brings me back to what it'll always bring me back to is that this, this moment is the only one that we have mm-hmm. right now, this moment, you and me sitting here in front of this microphone. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one we're living yeah. and anything in the future is uncertain and anything in the past is already done and we can learn from it, but we shouldn't dwell on it. Right. But right here, right here is where we're at. And I think that that, that healthy understanding of like, this is the one I can control and I can change small things in this moment. And I can be present in this moment instead of spending this moment really worried about mm-hmm. the future or the past. Yeah. And that, I think mindfulness, there's a lot of research coming out about mindfulness and its power with depression and anxiety because, I mean, depression really is in a lot of ways dwelling in the, in the past and the darkness and then anxiety is worry and trying to control the future mm-hmm. and how mindfulness can bring you out of both of those things. And there's a lot of research coming up about mindfulness and childbirth. Mm. And how if we can learn to be in this moment, whatever it may entail, that there is a power there, right? This is the only yeah. moment I can influence. Absolutely. I can't influence how long this birth will take. Right. I can't influence how the contractions are going to feel. Mm-hmm. I can't influence. And once you've built your birth team, once you've got it set up, once you've done your planning and, mm-hmm. and, and it begins, there are not as many things that you can change about yeah. exteriorly, exterior. But you can, of course, always within you, try and be in this moment and allow your mindset to not move into depression. Oh, last time was so hard. If it's traumatic again, what if I have this happen again? And those things may come up and allow them to come up in this moment, allow them to come up, look at them, be curious and let them pass. So not to say you'll suddenly have nothing come up because coming up can be beautiful and powerful. That's the unearthing that you talked about. Mm -hmm. That's the the shedding. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we allow ourselves to too much move into oh no, another contraction's coming. I'm like, gosh, I can't believe it. I can't do this anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore. How long is this going to be? Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. A lot of clients will, when things are getting intense, look up at me and say, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And that means their brain is telling them the story that this could be a long time mm-hmm. and they're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about dilation in this too. We fixate on the scale of zero to 10. Yes. And we use that to just like, as like a beating rod to tell us how successful we are at laboring. You know, it's like, how far along am I? Check me. Mm. Oh, I'm only to a four. Oh, I'm a failure. And, and I think that we, again, we're, we're losing sight of that present moment of like, uh, there's only one way and it's just right now. Yes. <laughs> like that's the way. And I think there's something really beautiful too with, to say that when like the timelessness and to say, I'm just, I'm in my body in this moment, it'll take what it takes. And if things do come up, so if like an emotional thing comes up, I had a client not too long ago where, um, her second birth was, um, fairly traumatic for her. It was also a home birth. Um, but she felt really abandoned by her midwives and some things happened that made her feel very alone and things very quickly, which she wasn't expecting. Um, as she came to pushing and felt very out of control, was yelling and, and felt disconnected from everybody in the room. And when her baby hit her chest, she didn't want him. She had this, she had wow. a very, very strong feeling of get him off me. Yeah. Get him off me. I don't want him. Yeah. And she judged herself very harshly for that feeling. Yeah. Am I a bad mother? Do I deserve another baby? Right. Um, so in her next pregnancy, we were in labor and things were going slow, which it often does when you're carrying big traumas that you still have to unearth. Um, she had a moment where she told that story to everybody in the room and said, I don't know if I deserve this baby. And the beautiful thing about mindfulness is I think when things like that come up and then the death you're talking about is that when the story is told in a safe place and you have some affirmation that 
the fact that you care this much and this is bothering you shows that you are a good mother. Yeah. And the fact that you want this to be different shows you want it to be different. Yeah. And reminders that, hey, that the environment you were in last time was very overwhelming. I don't think you didn't want the baby. I think you needed a break. You mm-hmm. needed a moment to catch up to what was happening. You needed to feel connected to somebody. And you felt like this baby just came so fast and it was so much and I don't feel like I have support. And that doesn't always mean that you don't want that human in your life. You don't have love for that baby. Some people just have some lag. And we, people, women just need to give themselves some slack. Absolutely. Like, they really do. But when that next came up, that's kind of the dying that can also happen is that you have this story that you're telling yourself. She was telling herself the story of I'm a bad mom because I didn't initially want my baby. I didn't have that glow that people talk about, that immediate mm-hmm. connection, which is not always the case. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a getting to know you, and that's, that's not always wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story sometimes needs to die. We need to let the story that we're telling ourselves yeah. about ourselves die. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's the real deep takeaway here is like we, we've talked a lot about how we see this in the big picture of life and how the fear of death and, and um, the awareness of death is what helps us be alive. And so my invitation for all that are listening is to really allow this to distill into the birth context very specifically. And if you could visualize that your childbearing year is like a microcosm of life, and I want you to vision at the end of that childbearing year, there will be death just like there will be death at the end of your lifetime, Mm. (laughs) whenever that is. And just sit with that. Like, what if no one's ever told you this before? Well, I'm here to tell you, you're going to die at the end of giving birth. You, You will. It's just the facts of life. I can't change it. But instead of spending all of your time needlessly resisting that, your childbirth experience will be transformed. I promise you. If you embrace that right now and acknowledge it and, and grapple with it and, and honestly grieve it. I don't mean to say that it's supposed to be pleasant. I don't mean to imply that it's all happy and rainbows and unicorns. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. Um, all death is of every shape and variety. And yet I would never go back. I would never wish to be the Stephanie that I was before. And, and that's why I can say that so confidently to, to you, Katie, and everybody here listening, is that I've learned that even when it's hard, the death that comes at the end of birth is the most sweet kind. It leads you to finding your power. It leads you to spiritual maturity, to inherent wisdom, to a, a deepening intuition, All of these things are part of your development, and in order for you to claim that, you have to let the old parts of you die. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.